Well, sickness, pain, disease, physical suffering, they, these things, they affect every, every one of us. Um, uh, it's just, it's not anything special to say that. I mean, we, I was just looking through the church directory this week and, uh, and thinking of this message and, and just thinking, I would say over half of the families in the church directory, there's a specific situation that I know of, and I know there's others that I don't know of, where either one of those members of the family or or a close connection to that family is is going through some kind of known, specific, significant health issue. Um, it, it's and it's across the board, all age groups, all kinds of different problems, and so it's it's just. It's common, and um, and if we're not going through it now, it's co- it's coming, and so um, and we've we've been there before. So we've, as a church, we watch one another suffer. We we weep together as we learn of diagnoses. We we rejoice when we've seen one another have successful surgeries and treatments, and so that's again part of our body life together. Some in our body though have gone through and maybe are going through significant physical uh, struggles and agony and um, but but this is the thing one of the things about sickness that we need to see it's not just the physical pain sickness and disease bring more than just physical pain it often includes you know, excruciating physical pain for many but there's more there's more it's more complicated than that the struggles of sickness it, it just a few of the other things that happens it brings feelings of uselessness um, men can't work. Women uh, have difficulty taking care of things around the home and family, and and so it's just you just feel uh, like a, a more more sense of uselessness. It another thing it evokes struggles with envy of others that you you see others who are healthy in such same situation in life and and they're not going through these things or maybe others that. Uh, it's kind of the Asaph syndrome. The the wicked are prospering, and here I am suffering with this. And why is this? And just seem, the seeming injustice of it all. Um, it tempts us to worry, to be anxious about the future. And this can, I mean, there can be any number of ways in which this shows up in our lives. And maybe just a fear of that that the pain is going to be increased. That it's going to get worse. Maybe the fear of it's just going to go on forever. That I'm never going to get relief from this. It may be the fear of complications from surgery. It may be the fear that the treatment's not going to be successful. It may be fear of relapse, and certainly the fear of death. And so there's there's anxiety. That's part of the mix of the struggle, sickness. It it also brings feelings of loneliness. Um, maybe very literally, you're, you're, you're this that you're left alone. Maybe you're left in a hospital room and and you're just by yourself, and it's it's lonely or. Or, or you're recovering at home and, and you're just there alone. Or maybe it's not literally alone, but you have people around, but no one seems to understand what you're going through. They, 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 I, they just, they, they just don't seem to, they don't seem to connect with the struggle that you're having, and so you feel alone because they just, they can't seem to, they don't, they don't get it. Uh, I, it brings the challenge of being so dependent on other people. You feel like you're a trouble to those that you love and those that are close to you. And if you feel like a burden. I mean, on and on. Uh, it's just a, another illustration of, of some of 
the ways that this might work out of, um, in, in uh, the New Testament. And when you get to Paul's third missionary journey, we're introduced to several people. But one is a guy named Trophimus. Uh, Trophimus, in um, that third missionary journey of Paul, they leave out from Antioch. That's the, kind of the sending church. It's a great, great church and just neat how they have sent send missionaries out of the missionary-minded church. Paul leaves, travels to Asia Minor, ends up in Ephesus for three years, goes on from there to Macedonia, then to Greece, and then towards the end of that journey, Trophimus and seven others join Paul in this journey and join up with the team. We find it in Acts chapter 20 and 21 there. Um, and Trophimus stays with Paul, and he travels with him and ministers alongside him, and all the way to Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's journeying with Paul on this toward the end of this journey. And he's he's a missionary. We 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 see from uh, there that he's been sent out by the church at Ephesus. They sent him to jo- join Paul on this journey. This faithful servant of God, loyal companion of Paul, just just a just a servant. And um, he may be there in Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse eighteen. There's this unnamed uh, man that. Uh, is mentioned, and there's only a few folks that really could possibly fit this description because of the context and and the way things are described in the setting. But he, he may be one of, and he's one of those that could fit it. But uh, again, I don't know if it's him. But it, but it, I think it's an apt description. He says, and Paul said in Second Corinthians eight eighteen, with him, with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for preaching for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Again, we are not certain that's him, but it, as from what else, the little else we know, it fits him. And, and again, he would be one of those that was sent out for that purpose. So what does he have to do with the sermon, a message on sickness and sovereignty? Well, it's because of another verse that mentions him. It's in Second Timothy chapter 4. In verse 20, 2 Timothy 4.20. And this kind of a closing comment at the end of this, this letter. And this letter is likely written years after Paul's third journey was completed. Near the end of Paul's life. Uh, and, and yet, it, so it seems like Trophimus has been a ministry partner, a friend and He's done, they've done a lot together. He and Paul have done a lot together over the years, and they've been working side by side. And yet we find in 2 Timothy 4.20, it says this, that Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. And so this faithful missionary, we could say, and it has to come off the field because of this illness, this sickness. He's, he's sidelined because of this sickness. We're not told what's wrong with him. Uh, Paul is writing, not Luke, who was the doctor. Um, but the word Paul chooses to describe his condition shows that it is serious. That it, it has, it just means to be without strength, without bodily vigor, powerless, weak. He's just laid aside in weakness. And so whatever sickness it was, it was significant. And, and he couldn't go on. He didn't have the strength. If Paul thought he had a cold or, this was just something he would be over with in a few days. He would have just waited and uh, and wait for him to recover. And then we, we continue on in our journey. But it was clearly not that. It was serious. It put him out of commission. And so whatever was wrong with him, this healthy, 
active, traveling preacher couldn't go on with Paul anymore in the work. And it takes him, takes him out of the action. And I, I just say this is another, this is just an illustration of one of the, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, just those feelings of uselessness. But one of the hard parts about sickness is it makes us inactive. It can, I mean, in this sense, it kind of can kind of put us on the sidelines. It can slow us down at least. We, we, the way we saw our life playing out and the things we thought we would be doing, now everything's changed. And, and I'm not able to do what I anticipated. These years of my life I thought would be very different. But because this entered in, this sickness, things are, things are different. And, I can't do what I was able to do before. Maybe there's less energy. Maybe there's less mental clarity. Maybe there's pain that restricts us or just fatigue or whatever it is. But I'm just saying all this to, uh, to, to show, and again, this is no surprise to anybody who's dealt with physical pain, and some of you have and are, it's, it's more than just physical uh, suffering. It's, it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, but also sickness is more than pain of any kind. There's more to it than that. It's not, it's not just some unqualified bad in our lives. It's not only a bad thing that the Bible talks plainly and honestly about the, the off, how awful pain and physical suffering and disease and sickness are. It's hard. It's bad. The pain is real and the Bible doesn't mute that or minimize that, um, and and so that's true and its ugliness shouldn't be minimized by us we don't if you if you if you begin to think oh it's really shouldn't it's not we shouldn't shouldn't worry about the physical it's not that bad well just walk through walk through a cancer ward in the hospital walk through the go to children's hospital healthcare of atlanta and walk through that children's cancer ward and you'll see it's ugly it's awful sickness and disease and um but as honest as the Bible is in speaking about the horrors of physical suffer, of, of pain and suffering like that, the Bible also speaks plainly and openly about the sovereign, good, gracious purposes of God in suffering. And that is very clear. It's, it's, it has a purpose for His eternal glory and for our eternal good. It fits in His plan. There's, there are real eternal benefits from suffering and pain and sickness. And just read, let me just read quickly a few verses just to bear this out. Psalm 119 verse 71, psalmist writes, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Second Corinthians 4.17, My, our outer self is wasting away, but this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. James 1, 2, and 3, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That includes sickness and disease and, and pain. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Romans 5, 1 to 5, it's just verse 3. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So sickness is hard, it hurts, it it crushes us, it tears us, but it's an instrument in God's hand for our good. Um, I don't know if I included the quote from J.C. Ryle, but it just, just he, he talks about sickness being a rough schoolmaster. And let me just read it in case it's not in front of you. But he says, I speak of the benefits of sickness on purpose and advisedly. Uh, 
I know the suffering and pain which sickness entails. I admit the misery and wretchedness which it often brings in its train. But I cannot regard it as an unmixed evil. I see it. I see in it a wise permission of God. I see in it a useful provision to check the ravages of sin and the devil among men's souls. If man had never sinned, I should have been at a loss to discern the benefit of sickness. But since sin is in the world, I can see that sickness is a good. It is a blessing quite as much as a curse. It is a rough schoolmaster, I grant. But it is a real friend to man's soul. This is a book he wrote on sickness. Uh, another contemporary writer, Paul Tripp, says of this kind of sickness and suffering. He says, the suffering that we all experience in this fallen world is very, very bad. Yet in the hands of God, it becomes something that is very, very good. And so we hold these two things in, in tension and in, in, in the right biblical tension. That, that This means that as we do pray for one another, we don't just pray for the grace of of relief or the grace of release but we also pray for the grace of refinement through suffering and through the pain and sickness so tonight i I just want us to see sickness and disease and pain in the biblical framework and that's that's the hope for this evening how does sickness pain disease fit into the plan and purpose of god not just in the abstract theological sense but how does your story of personal suffering fit into the plan and the whole story of, of, of God's redemptive work. And uh, we won't be able to say everything there is to say, obviously. But, but this is what we'll, we'll, we'll be doing tonight. So three questions to help us kind of learn about God's rough schoolmaster. First question is this. Is what went wrong? What went wrong? Did, did God create a world in which pain and sickness and suffering existed in the beginning? No. And not at all. Well, that would be an awful thought if, if that was true. Um, Genesis one thirty one, sixth and final day of creation. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. But I've got news for you and it's not news to you. But uh, we look around and everything is not very good in our world. And everything is not very good in, in your life. And there is real agony and pain and suffering. What went wrong and why so much suffering? Why so much disease and sickness? How do you account for this? Only the Bible gives a satisfactory answer to that question and to that dilemma. Something went wrong. Something came into this world that messed everything up. And we know what that something is. It's sin. Um, J.C. Ryle again, he says, Something has come in which, like a handful of gravel thrown into the midst of machinery, has marred the perfect order of God's creation. Again, that's something, a handful of gravel, it's sin, that, that we sin, therefore we get sick, and we, and we suffer, and we die. Or as Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And it's Genesis 3 that we read of that account, of what Paul's talking about there. Death, that came in because of sin. Not just the event of death, not just the moment of death, um, but, but the whole package of death. Pain, mourning, loss, sickness, Disease, suffering, injury, agony, loneliness, separation. It all came in because of sin. 
Sin's what's behind all of the misery, all of the hurt, all of the agony, all of the pain, all of the loss that we see when we walk through a hospital and that we experience in our lives. It all goes back to Adam's disobedience and and ours by proxy. Um, There would be no sickness or disease if there had been no fall. Again, we know these things, but because of the fall, sin's entrance into the world that we have sickness and disease just saturated humanity. It's, it's everywhere. It's a universal reality. And, and that's because of the fall then. Sickness is everywhere. It's in every, every nation, every place of the world. Every, for instance, in the U.S., it's in Bosnia, it's in Senegal, and it's in every other place. It's in highly developed uh, uh, nations. It's in underdeveloped parts of the world. It's in first world places, third world places. Warm climates, cold climates, mountains, deserts, it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. It affects all types of people, young and old, men and women, children, believers and unbelievers, rich and poor. You can't buy your way out of, out of sickness. Uh, Steve Jobs, just, I mean, you can't. Kings and presidents, slaves and peasants, higher education can't protect you. Um, Exercise won't keep it away. Um, oncologists get cancer and die. I mean, it's, you just—it's—it's it's everywhere. It affects all kinds of people. It comes in all types of varieties. It affects all parts of our bodies. The list of potential diseases and ailments is just mind-boggling. I mean, there—we don't even know the causes of so many health issues. It's still mystery to us. There. Are, I mean, this is this is why they're so. Like, this all the medical fields are just growing industries right now. I mean, there's it's and it's always going to be. If you want job security, young people, medical, anything medical related is is a safe way to go because there are always going to be needs there um, for hospitals and pharmacies and hospice and nursing and what is it that drives that growth? Sickness. Disease, death, and um, we can spend. We can send a space probe four and a half billion miles to Pluto and take pictures of it and have them relayed back to Earth, and that's just incredible. But we can't keep a single person from getting sick and dying. We can't. We can't guarantee that. Um, there are there are amazing medical advances all the time, and we should be thankful for those, and we should use those and avail ourselves to that. But with all of those all of those advances are like a little drop in this vast ocean of sickness and suffering and pain and 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 ultimately death. That, that we can increase lifespans slightly by. Uh, by things like better sanitation and medical breakthroughs and skilled doctors and affordable health care and, and exercise and diet and all of these things. But death is inescapable. It will get us all. And Psalm 90 verse 10. The years of our life are 70 or if even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. We can't, we can't stop it. So why? Why, why? why can't we stop sickness, death, disease? Because of sin. The world is under a curse. 
And that's the thing. It's the worst part about our present condition in the world is not sickness. That's a symptom of the root cause. It's the worst part of sin. And that's what the Bible bears witness to. Death is just a symptom of the greater disease, sin. All right, well, that's a downer of a way to start. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about some good news. And this is the second question. Will it ever end? Will it ever end? And yes, it will. Uh, disease will die. Death has a lifespan. Uh, pain has a shelf life. It's going to end. The world and all its corruptions, including physical pain and sickness and disease and death, it's passing away and it will end. I'll read one more quote from Ryle. He says, a few more sicknesses and it will all be over. A few more funerals and our our funeral will take place. A few more storms and tossings and we shall be safe in harbor. We travel towards a world where there is no more sickness, where parting and pain and crying and mourning are done forevermore. We see it in Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 that the last enemy, death, will be destroyed. And it will, it will die and be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 4 of the new heavens and the new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. It's not... It's not that we'll just stop crying, stop being babies, quit your whining. That's not what it, it's going to happen. It's that there's not going to be any reason, there's not going not to be anything to cry about. The source of pain and the source of tears and mourning and crying, it will be done away and so the weeping will stop. And, and no more pain, oh, to have no more pain. And, the, and some of you, that's a more precious thought than I could ever realize this place in my life but the glorified sin-free resurrection bodies will of believers will never be subject to the pain again that's a great thought what sweet comforts are thoughts of heaven to those battling sickness and pain and disease and we will all need these comforts in our life that's, that's not, again, to minimize the real pain of suffering now. And the Bible is honest about that. It's, it's, it's not to say that it's really not that bad. But it's just a matter of degree. That's what you see in Scripture. Romans 8, 18 and following. That it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and they were great. And Paul outlines those in Second Corinthians, and he Endured incredible suffering and, and it was real and it hurt and it physically and in all kinds of ways. But he says they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's just it's a matter of degrees. And so your best life, contrary to what one Christian pastor says or pastor, I should say Christian pastor, I don't know. Your best life is not now. It's, it's, it's to come. Your best life is later. One day, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, what is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power and death will be swallowed up in victory. And and again, I don't say that to... I don't want to imply that that reality, that what we know of what's to come, it, it, 
it, it eliminates the pain that we experience now. And the real loss and the pain of separation, the pain of, I mean, of physical and, and all of those other types. But, but it should give us courage to endure with hope. And that's what we're asking the Lord for. And, and so a glimpse of the final way out gives us joy and confidence in the face of, of the reality of our aching bodies and our aching souls um, here. So that's, will it ever end? Yes. Third question, and we'll, we'll, then we'll pray, is what made the difference then? From, from how bad it is to how wonderful it will be, what's the difference between those two realities? We are suffering sick, dying sinners in the suffering sick and dying world. But there's this sure promise of a future where there is no pain, no, no sorrow, no weeping, no death, no sickness. It's all gone. So what happened? Why does it stop in the end? Does God just kind of say, okay, uh, it is bad enough. Let's just, let's just do away with sickness and death. Um, it's gotten out of hand. What makes the difference between our present suffering and our future, and our suffering less future? And it's, what is it? We know what it is. It's this one monumental act of suffering. It's, it's the cross. That God sent His only Son, Jesus, who lived this perfect, sinless life. And He ordered, and He, and he offered Himself as a sacrifice for sin. On the cross, He endured God's wrath for our sin. He endured physical um, and all kinds of anguish in, in his dying. It was this dark, horrendous moment of suffering and ultimately death. And he bore our sin. He bore the root cause of all of our pain and all of our sickness and all of our disease and all other, every other kind of suffering in our life. He bore that on the cross. And yet hope burst forth when he rose from the dead on the third day and conquering death and, and guaranteeing life to all who trust him, but so so what was once broken is restored through uh, the Son, and so sin is defeated, redemption is accomplished, all through the suffering of Christ. Now, his his death changes eternity because we we those who trust in Christ are justified, declared righteous. We have the hope of eternal life with Him. It changes eternity, but that reality also changes things here and now for us. doesn't mean that we don't experience any more physical suffering or anything like that, but it totally changes our perspective on it. And it, choked, and it gives us this renewed hope. Um, the sting of death is gone for the believer. Yet we wait for that day when death will die and be, and be cast into the lake of fire. The, the serpent's head has already been crushed and yet he will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so there's this already not yet tension that we live in, but it's, it's reality. But it's all because of what Christ did. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed. We're not physically healed yet, but we are righteous before God through Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice. And, and, and yet we still inwardly groan as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, so, so Christ died for sin. He died 
and and the the sin that brought has brought so many awful effects in our lives and in our world, including sickness, pain, and death. He he died for that. He atoned for sin, and yet the full implications of this will one day be known and realized. That's how we have this hope of this future. It's because of what Christ has accomplished. And so, what it what the cross proves is that God is active in redeeming His people. He has redeemed us spiritually. He he will redeem us physically. And he's not passive. He moves, he's moved towards us in love and pity and in compassion. I don't, again, I don't remember if this long quote from John Stott is in your outline, but I'll read this and it connects this together. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings became more manageable in the, in the light of His. There was still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross which symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. Oh, that's good. And that's what sickness and suffering and pain should do. It should drive us to Christ. Drive us to the cross, to cling to Him. He is our hope, He is our comfort, He is our joy, He is our sustainer. Um, we don't hope in odds, we don't hope in ultimately in medicine or in relief. Our hope is in Him. It's in Christ. And so move, we need to move towards Christ in our suffering. It's because Christ has moved towards us in love and and as he suffered to release us from sin's bondage and also to that we might have the hope of release of the agony of all of sin's consequences. And so so this is it. We dwell on the cross. We reminded that it's better to face unthinkable suffering and sickness and disease and pain and to know forgiveness of sins and eternal life than it is to have a pain and disease free life without Christ and face the prospect of eternal agony. This is better. It's better. Jesus is better. We sing that over and over and this is this is where we need to it needs to be our plea, no matter what comes.